Say thank you again. Go on. Good job. So one of the things that I do here is um, I work alongside the staff and the leaders, coaching, helping, encouraging. And uh, one of the ways that we do that is using a, a, a mechanism, a vehicle, if you like, called the huddle. A huddle is an intentional opportunity to invest in one another in a fairly small group setting, usually four, five, six, seven, eight people. And um, I huddle all of the house church leaders, all of, the, all of the leaders of the communities on mission that function as the network that really undergirds what it is that we do here at Apex. And you know, we go through different seasons, we see different things, we see different opportunities, different challenges along the way. But it was really fascinating for me this last week, gathering with just one huddle that represented four communities on mission, and every single one of them was seeing significant movement toward growth. Some of that growth was very substantial. One group, I think, is perhaps maybe 35 people now, and they're beginning to think about multiplication and moving on to the point where maybe two communities of mission are, as it were, created from that single one. But what I'm hearing back from everyone as I pray with the prayer team every day at 8.30, as we gather for flow prayer here in the building from 6.30 to 8 on a Tuesday, and tonight, as many of those leaders of that network of communities on mission gather at mine and Sally's house uh, tonight, I think from five o'clock onwards, is that correct? Uh, when we've, um, we've boiled down some bones and um, we're gonna give you some broth or gruel or something, I don't know. Um, there's about 40 leaders uh, gathering for that time. So things are beginning to move in the direction of what it was that I sense God was saying to us as a wider community for, for 2023. Outward facing fruitfulness. What's it like for us as individuals to be outward facing and to be fruitful in that perspective? And as we engage with the gospel of John over these next few months, and we skip pretty much like stepping stones through that amazing story, we'll see lots of ways in which God is revealing to us how we can be fruitful in that outward-facing posture. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue with John chapter 1, as I said last week, John chapter 1 is so significant, so important, it introduces so many of the themes that we're going to just spend two or three weeks on this. This week, we'll spend some time in chapter 1, and next week, we'll just kind of do an overview of chapter 1 as we gather together for Celebration Sunday. There'll be some baptisms, there'll be some opportunities for people to share, both young and old, as we gather for those times. If you've not been to a Celebration Sunday, and if you've not... Uh, engaged with it online or in-house, I really recommend it. It's about as much fun as you can have in church. It's awesome. So what we're going to do next week is we're just going to kind of complete that introduction. But for this week, we're going to look at what it means for 
a person to move in the fundamental journey of discipleship. What is that fundamental journey? The fundamental journey is this. I just need to take a little drink from my rather delightful Apex bottle here. Mm. Yeah, very good. Thank you for adding whatever it was you added, Sally. There's a mystery for you all to wonder about. It was bone broth. It was bone broth. That's right, yeah. Um, That fundamental journey is the journey from being a recipient to being a participant in what it is that God is doing. The journey of discipleship is the journey from being a recipient of what God's doing to becoming a participant in what it is that God's doing. That's the journey. It's the journey for every person here. It's the journey for me. And it's the journey for each person, whether they as yet know Jesus or not, that's the call, that's the desire, that's the longing in the heart of God. He wants us to be partners with him in the transformation of all things. It's an amazing call, it's an amazing thought, but right at the very beginning, when God created humanity, he said, go and rule. In other words, represent me as participants in in overseeing my world. I want you not only to represent me, but to be the channels through which my grace and love and mercy and kindness is expressed to all of creation. That call has never changed. We've fallen short of it who knows how many times. We've struggled in the valley of challenge. But then Jesus came and gave us the connection that made it all make sense. That actually what we need to do is to surrender our inabilities, our frailties, our weakness and our sin into his hands. He deals with those and in our frailty is able to make his power perfect in and through us. And what we're going to see today is the beginning of that journey for the very first disciples. If you've got a Bible or if you want to just read from the screen, it'll be there in front of you if you're with me online. We're going to read from John chapter 1 and verse 35. It's quite a long passage, but a passage really worth marinating in. Just immerse yourself in the story. Imagine what it is that you're reading here. It's John the Baptist. He's in this dusty, hot, barren place where the River Jordan is flowing through basically a desert. There are palm trees all around, and there are people gathered to hear the message of John. And this is what it says in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let's look at this, this process, let's look at this pattern, let's look at this journey that these first disciples are taking, and let's allow that to become something that we can reflect upon, emulate, and begin to follow in our own lives. Where does the story begin? Where does the journey begin? Where do the recipients begin their journey of receiving? It begins with an indication. The indication is very simple. There's Jesus. It's a very simple indication. There's Jesus. He takes away the sin of the world. All that John is doing is indicating where Jesus is and what Jesus does. And by indicating what it is that Jesus does, he's giving us more than what it is that Jesus is up to. He's giving us an understanding of the identity of Jesus because he's the savior of the world. Of course, his disciples listen to this and they know that the one that John has been preparing the way for is the Messiah, is the king of Israel, is the long-awaited savior of the people of God. And so they hear the indication and they begin to investigate. I wonder how many of you are spiritually curious. I wonder how many of you are interested in discovering new things. I wonder how many of you spend time trawling through the streaming and then you go to something that gives you a little bit of interest, a little bit of opportunity to investigate the things that you're, that you're most interested in. It's fascinating, isn't it? I, I often sit there with Netflix in front of me and they're always offering me stuff like dramas and comedies and stuff like that. But then I go to the documentaries and I find all kinds of fun stuff. It's great. I don't know whether you're like me, but, but I'm one of those people that's just 
naturally curious, and I'm particularly spiritually curious, and that spiritual curiosity is something that God has used in me throughout my entire life. Andrew and his mate, we assume it to be John, because John is very self-effacing in his gospel. He, he doesn't indicate himself as a partner or participant in the story. He's very self-effacing. He only describes himself as the one who Jesus loves the most. <laughs> he never mentions his name, he just says, and of course there was the disciple there who obviously Jesus loved the most. Here's this, here's this anonymous disciple with Andrew. And there they are, and they're like little kids. Even the way, even the way that, that John records the story gives you this kind of indication of shyness, a kind of coyness. Jesus looks around and says, what do you want? And you can almost kind of see them being bashful. Because they say, they say, Mr. Where are you going? It's a funny thing, isn't it? It's a funny thing for an adult to say to another adult. Where are you going? I think Jesus recognizing that he's seeing the child, the curious child in Andrew and John. So come and see and you'll find out. And so they spend the day with Jesus. So now the indication has moved to an invitation. When did that happen for you? Maybe, maybe you sense this prompting within you to look at another person's life and as you looked at their life, you realized that they were a believer, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of someone who as yet you did not know. And there was an indication of something going on, an indication of something important, an indication of something to be investigated. But very soon, I wonder whether like me, you found yourself going beyond the indication and investigation to discover that there was an invitation. I was just a young lad at school the Lord had somehow rewired my brain so that I was able to read. I'd been unable to read for many, many years. I was way down the, the, the kind of the expectations of a, of a kid of 15, perhaps maybe able to read like an eight-year-old. And then as so often happens with dyslexics, there's this moment. For me, it happened in a kind of miraculous way. I'd try to read books, I'd try to just kind of satisfy this curiosity, this hunger for more within me by reading, but I could never quite get it together. And then, and then someone in school, a teacher, lent me a Bible. And in a moment, it all happened. And I voraciously devoured the Bible. The very first book that I read from cover to cover was the Bible. God somehow put this wiring together and I found myself deeply, deeply interested in what it was that I was reading. And it had begun 
by the teacher being kind of weird. She was odd. I was in England. I lived in the north of England in a city called Manchester, which has the greatest soccer team in the world. <laughs> and then another one. And, um, and in, that, in that environment, it was very strange to hear somebody with an accent from the American South. It was really odd. And there's this, this lady who's a returning missionary with her husband. He's doing a PhD in Manchester under a man called F.F. F. Bruce, who's a famous Bible scholar. And, um, and she was just working for just a few weeks in the school as a kind of step-in. Miss Demarus. She'd say, Joseph, you're a bum. Go and stand outside the class. And people would say, what did she just say? <laughs> You're a bum. Go and stand outside the class. Now, even then, I was able to do a good Mrs. Demarus. Other teachers would stop me in the corridor and go, do Miss Demarus. <laughs> and I'd say, sir, you're a low-down bum. It was great fun, a 16-year-old being able to be a little naughty, as it were. But there was something about Miss Demarus. There was something about her. She was compelling those. There was something going on that God was using in her to indicate to me that there was something that she had that I didn't have. And I wanted it. And so... When she offered the Bible to me, I assumed that that would be the way that I'd discover what it was that she had. And so I began to read it. And as I read it, there was a stirring in me. I spoke to the headmaster, the principal of the school, and said, you know, I've been reading this Bible and Miss Demarest seems to have gone now. I, I don't know what to do about it. What do you think I should do? And he said, why don't you come to church with me? I said, okay, where is it? And he said, well, it's St. Andrews. It's, it's just down the road. Um, you'll, you'll find it to be a great place for you. Now, what he meant was that it was a great place for him. And so I got there in the morning, and they had a prayer book that was written in the year 1662. And the service begins, dearly beloved brethren, we are gathered here today. And it's like, excuse me? But I'm in the worship, and the guy begins to preach. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, something's happening. I could see a glow around the preacher. I'm looking around to see if anybody else can see it. I, I asked him afterwards, I said, Do, does everybody see the glow? He thought I was just messing around, he didn't know what I was talking about. I spoke to the pastor. He was a very diffident Englishman. He really wasn't very bold. He was very shy. Typical English vicar. But I explained to him what was going on, and he said, oh, well, um, yes, that's very interesting. Well, um, maybe what you should do is um, 
maybe you should have a class with me. I said, sure. He said, I've got another young man who's, who's kind of interested in these things, so maybe together we could have a Bible study. Said, okay. You see, what was happening was the indication became an invitation, and the invitation created the opportunity for the next thing. Look what Andrew says. He finds his brother Simon, and he says this to them. We have found the Messiah. We have found the long-awaited king of Israel. They've only been there a day. How could he know this? You see, it's not a journey of of intellectual understanding that's taking place here. That would be impossible. It's just a young guy, he spent the day with Jesus, there's really not enough time for him to have searched the scriptures and to seen all of the fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament that are now revealed in Jesus. But something's happened. The indication gave way to an invitation and the invitation made space for revelation. It's the thing that God does. It's the thing that God does. Now here's the thing. If you're wanting to make the journey in discipleship, and I'm assuming because you're here online or in-house, something's going on. If you're wanting to make the journey, the next step in your life, the next step in security and significance If you're wanting to be a kind of person that leaves their mark, leaves a legacy, changes the world in which you have opportunity to influence and involve yourself, if you want to be that kind of person, then you need to be on this journey. And it's a journey that begins with just an indication of what it is that God's doing and then a realization that he's inviting you to experience what it is that you see And in that experience, for you to find the open place that God wants to develop for you. And that open place is the place where he reveals himself. Revelation is way, way more important than intellectual understanding. Revelation is the very key, the very the very foundation of what it means to be a disciple because now you begin to understand that God is able to speak to you, that God is able to reveal himself to you and in that revelation, an amazing thing begins to happen. There's no no suggestion here in the text that Jesus told Andrew what to do next. Do you notice that? The participation was the obvious next step. He couldn't keep it in. It was impossible. You see, if you've done an intellectual investigation, you can keep it in. It's kind of your knowledge. Nobody else needs to know about it. It's your stuff. If you've 
in your investigation discovered revelation, it's impossible to keep it in. Because revelation is so compelling, so fulfilling, so overwhelming that it spills out from you. And so what God wants for you is to see where he's pointing to Jesus. And then when you see where he's pointing to Jesus, go and investigate and discover that Jesus is inviting you to be part of what it is that he's doing. And as you do that, the revelation explodes. You see, for me, as that young boy, 16 years old, within two years, I was in seminary. I'd only just started reading. In two years, I was in seminary. And um, the, the, the professors and the scholars that were there at the seminary would sometimes draw me aside and say, so who's done all the teaching and the training? And I said, well, you know, I read the Bible. They said, yeah, yeah, but who's done all the teaching and the training? And I didn't quite know what they meant. Because you see, what they were wrestling with was that people had come there with a great education. People had come there with, with a great background in biblical knowledge, but somehow there was something in the way that I was engaging with the life of Jesus that seemed to be a bit different. And they wanted to know what it was. What it was, was the fact that no one had taught me not to expect that Jesus would speak. You see, so many of the people that I met in seminary had been trained into the idea that it depended on them to find out about God. That it depended on them and their intellect and their hard work to discover things about God. What I discovered was that God wanted to reveal himself to me and in the revelation, he gave me all of the energy to do the investigation. It wasn't dependent on me at all. And so the journey of discipleship was an entirely different thing for me. It wasn't something that I was trying to make happen. It was something that was happening and I couldn't stop it. Now I sense, I sense, as I say this, you're beginning to ask yourself, is that me or is that just Mike? Is that what happens to me? Is that, is that the journey I'm on or is there another journey? Maybe you've heard, maybe you've heard this explanation of discipleship. You need to put the hours in. You need to put the sweat equity in. And then you'll get it. You can't expect to get something good without working for it. Maybe that's what you've heard. Maybe that's one of the reasons that you find yourself in church on Sundays because you're thinking, I've got to put some sweat equity into this because maybe I won't get it otherwise. Maybe you look at other people 
and you've seen an indication of what it is that God is doing in their life, and you've felt the invitation, but in the midst of the invitation, you've realized that you've not put enough perspiration in. And so you think, in the invitation, what I've got to do is get into the perspiration. But that's not the answer. We work hard because the energy has been given to us through revelation. You don't get the revelation just because you want it. You get it because God wants to give it. Well, maybe he doesn't want to give it to you. Why would you be different to everybody else in the world? Why would you be different to all of the other disciples? You're not different. God is deeply, deeply committed to revealing himself to you personally. The indication moves to the invitation and the invitation makes place for the revelation. Let's read on. The next day, Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. Now, we've just seen a kind of expanded explanation of what it meant to follow Jesus. They spend a day with him, they hang out with him, and in that invitation that Jesus makes to Philip, Philip gets the revelation. And the revelation leads to the participation. What does he do? He goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. Now here's the thing, here's the thing. The key to understanding what it is that's going on here, the key to understanding the difference between perspiration and revelation. There's nothing wrong with perspiration, it's just you need revelation first. The key to it is this. Look what it says. Verse 35. Uh, Verse 36. John says, look. Verse 39. Jesus says, come and you will see. Verse 42. Jesus looks at Simon Peter. Notice that? Jesus looks at Simon Peter. When Philip speaks to Nathanael, what does Jesus say to Nathanael when Nathanael is brought to him? I saw you under your tree. I saw you under your tree. I tell you, verse 51, you shall see. What is it that's so important about looking and seeing? Here it is. It's supposed to be an experience that occurs physically that then becomes a spiritual understanding. It's something that happens physically that then becomes a spiritual understanding. Now this is gonna be a really important key for everybody in this room 
Because often we're mystified by these people around us who've received revelation. And we think, why don't I receive it? And the reason that you think that you've not received it is because you think that somehow it's not connected to the physical experience of your life. The way that revelation begins is by you taking notice of the things around you. Let me give you an example. I've prayed for thousands of people for healing, thousands and thousands. On Tuesday night, a lady who I know quite well was there at the prayer time and she wanted us to pray for her shoulder. So we gathered around, did the normal thing, lay hands on her, made sure that that was okay and just began praying. Now, I've been in this situation literally thousands of times. And one of the questions that I ask is, can you feel anything? Why am I saying that? Because you see, we're not bodies that are somehow separated from our spirit. We're bodies and spirit together, and there's supposed to be a connection between the two, and one is supposed to inform the other, and the other is supposed to engage what's going on. So I said, do you feel anything? Now the reason I was saying that was because I could feel heat in her shoulder, even though she was wearing a sweatshirt, a hoodie, a thingy, and a what's it, you know, all of these things. She's got like nine layers on. And I could feel heat coming from her body. And she said, yeah, I can feel heat even though your hand is the other side of these nine layers of things. It's not your hand that's hot, it's my shoulder that's hot. Why? Why did God do that? Why? Because he was giving an indication that was going to unfold into an invitation. And the invitation was going to give way to a revelation and the revelation would enable a participation. This is what I've seen over the years. If you will take notice of what it is that you're feeling, of what it is that you're seeing, of what it is that you're sensing, of what it is that your body is allowing you to experience, then you will begin to go on the journey of indication to invitation to revelation to participation. The person that we prayed for is actually well on the way on all of that. That This person that that we're praying for is prayed for many people who are sick. But I can absolutely guarantee this. Next time someone asks her to pray for a shoulder, she'll feel way more confident. Why? Why? Because she felt it. And the feeling, the experience of knowing that, knowing that little gift of God's presence, giving her that experience, meant that she could go on this journey of, it's me, indication to come on, 
invitation to shazam, revelation to yay, let's do this, participation. If, if you want a particular thing to be healed, let's just talk about healing for a minute. So say you, say you want healing in a back. Now, I mean, he's a long way away. He lives up in Fort Wayne. He's an old friend of mine from England. If I, if I really had a problem with my back, I'd go and find Paul. And the reason is, is that Paul has had such significant healing in his back that he has enormous faith for praying for other people's back. Why? Because one time he felt it and the feeling was an indication that gave him an invitation to step in and investigate. Wow, what, is this God? I think it is, I mean, it, it wasn't like that before and it's starting to feel something different. And in that openness, the revelation of the healing meant that now he's amazing as a partner with God in healing people's backs. If you've got issues with babies, there's a person in the congregation who I'd always send you to, Sally. Lots and lots of people who couldn't have babies got prayed for, and now they've got babies. Lots of people who had babies that had problems in utero now have fully healthy babies. People who had babies that were just born now have babies without the condition. Why? Well, our babies were difficult. The first baby seemed to have a heart murmur. We weren't sure whether it was a hole in the heart and we saw God do miraculous things and that gave us a little indication that maybe God wants to heal babies too. And here's the thing about babies, they're babies. They don't tell you what's going on. They can't explain to you what's happening. That's one of the great frustrations of parenthood, isn't it? What's the matter with you? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, what is the little place that's the starting place for your partnership with Jesus in the extension of his kingdom? What is it? What has he done in your life? What is it, what is it that he's done in you that began with an indication, there's Jesus? Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. And where does that indication lead to an invitation? Come on, see more. And where did that, where did that invitation become a revelation? You go, whoa, that's God. And where does the revelation now call for participation? You see, here's the thing. So many people of my age have been trained to be recipients and not partners. Yeah? What's the best thing that you can contribute to the kingdom? A warm body. Yeah? 
We know that because the way we count church is through nickels and noses. What a terrible thing. We count fruitfulness and success by people being present and giving money. Are you kidding me? I didn't spot that in any of the teaching of Jesus. I didn't spot that in any of what it is that he was offering as the journey of discipleship. The journey of discipleship is the journey of, sure, let's start as a recipient, but man alive, there's so much more than that. That's like getting a ticket to go to the movie and staying in the foyer. Who wants to do that? The best that you can do is eat the popcorn. I mean, there's a whole new world of experience in there. And the funny thing is this, Jesus wants to give you a ticket to a movie and then make you a director and an actor. That's the crazy thing. So here's the thing. Where are you on this journey? Where are you on the journey? Where are you on the journey from being recipient to being a participant? There's no expectation for anyone to be doing enormous, world-shaking things. There's nobody expecting you to move mountains. Jesus just wants you on the journey. He wants you on the journey in what it is that he's doing right now. And generally, the place where you have the most significant challenge right now is the place that he wants you to pay attention Where's the place of challenge right now? Is it paying the bills? Is it overcoming a relationship difficulty? Is it coming to terms with insecurity, wounds of the past? I don't know. But whatever the challenge is, that's the beginning of the journey. Because if you look up in the midst of the challenge, He'll indicate to you either someone else who's on a very similar journey, but they've taken a few steps more, or he'll indicate to you an answer that you weren't expecting. I mean, Andrew and John are just picking their teeth and wondering what's going to happen next. And then John the Baptist says, there's the savior of the world. They weren't expecting that. So you look up from the challenge that you're in And you look where Jesus is indicating, here may be an answer, and allow your curiosity to carry you forward. And in that carrying forward, listen for the invitation. You're struggling with finances. You look up, and there's another person, and you think, you know, they they said something about God providing for them once. They said something at house church about God providing for them. Man, I'd I'd be embarrassed to ask them, but I wonder what that meant. It's an indication. And so you you say, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking about my finances. I'm not sure whether I can pay the bills. You seem to like have a similar experience. What, What happened for you? Right there. Do you notice how bashful Andrew was? 
Where are you going, mister? It wasn't, it wasn't the question of a giant in the faith. It was just simply a question of, can you, can you kind of give me some ideas? Find that person who you think maybe have a different journey to you about the thing that you're struggling with. And just say to them, you know, you seem to be really secure. Is there something happened in your life that's helped you to be secure? Because I don't feel secure right now. I don't know how to deal with it. I heard you say one time that, that God heals old memories. Could you explain what that is? Now, they may or may not be able to explain, but the invitation is to hear their story, and in hearing their story, there is the opportunity, the space for revelation. It's going to be you that hears Jesus, not them on your behalf. It's you that's going to hear Jesus, and that revelation will be transformative for you. Sally and I turned up in our very first church, and we were as poor as church mice, literally. And I was going to be ordained by the bishop. And I knew that being ordained by the bishop meant that I would have to kneel at the altar at the front. And my shoes had holes in. And I said to God, God, I don't mind having cardboard in my shoes, but I think it's going to be a distraction to people. Is there any way that I could have a pair of shoes to get ordained in? I mean, it sounds like I'm from Charles Dickens' days, doesn't it? But it's the truth. I can promise you it's absolutely the truth. We didn't have the money to buy a pair of shoes. And so we prayed about it, and we just trusted the Lord with it. And we went to the very first tiny little house that was the parsonage that had been set aside for the pastor. Tiny, tiny little house. And we got in there with a few sticks of furniture and next morning I went to the doorstep and on the doorstep with the post was a little circular tube, yay big. And inside it were the equivalent of quarters, they're 20 pence pieces. And a little note saying, my children and I have been praying for you for the last few months. And we put aside every 20 pence piece that we had because we thought that God wanted us to do that, to give you a gift. And we counted it up and it was just enough to buy a pair of shoes. Now, do you think I worry as much as the average person about money? Well, I don't know what the average person does, but I don't worry. Because it's a revelation. And that transforming revelation has caused me now to be a partner with God in helping people have faith for things like that. A tiny little thing. Is this coming through? 
turn to your neighbor. If you're online, put the comment, it's getting through. Just turn to your neighbor, it's getting through. Okay, okay. So let's, um, let's invite the worship team, worship team to come up. They're gonna sing a new song called Make Room. And as they sing, here's, here's my question to you. Do you want to make the next step in the journey? This is not, this is not the call for somebody who's never started the journey. Sure, if you've never started the journey, come on, let's take the first step. Journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Let's do it right now. What's the next step for you? And the next step for you is the challenge that you're facing right now. The challenge that you're facing right now, even as you've heard the message today, that challenge that you're facing, the Lord is pointing out and saying, hey, there's Jesus. Jesus can deal with this. And if you'll recognize that indication, you'll hear this invitation. Come, come and receive the revelation. You may see people coming up here. Some people you think come up here way too often. I don't know. You see people coming up here and you think, what's going on up there? What's going on is people taking the next step in their discipleship journey. And the next step in their discipleship journey almost always involves hearing the invitation to receive the revelation. And from the revelation, we can begin the participation. So, you know where you are, you know what it is that you need, and you know that as a disciple of Jesus, what God is saying to you is, there's Jesus, go after him, ask him. And Jesus is saying to you right now, come on then, come and spend some time with me.